Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I want to start us off today. Um, first of all, my name is Ed Griffin-Hagen. I am one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. There's lots of places you could be. I believe that God has got all of us here today with, with a purpose. Uh, he's a, a purposeful God that we just worshiped, beautifully worshiped. Now, Nathan started off this morning, uh, he was leading worship, and he started off this morning uh, talking about the world that we live in and the, the seeming chaos and so forth. And so what you're going to see on the screen behind me is a young lady named Nicole G. Nicole G, uh, that's the last picture that she posted on either Instagram or Facebook or one of those two. And, and she, the caption that she put in there was, I love my job. And then the next day she got blown up at the airport in Afghanistan. And so, you know, we see this stuff on the news and we read about it. I mean, that she is indicative of, the, of, of, of every other service member, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, like whatever. And I, I don't know, but we can, I don't know that we pray enough for, for all of the things in our world. We want to fix, we want to try to fix the things with, with everything and every answer other than Christ. And he redeems everything. Like he, he redeemed my life. If you're a Christ follower, he redeemed your life. He redeemed your sin. He bought back, he bought you back and me back from the, from the pit of hell. And so he is the answer. We sang about three songs about the risen Christ and he is the answer. And God's people, we should be almost more than anything else. We should be a praying people. We should pray together. We should live a life of, of, of ceaselessly praying. So I want to start off today doing that, and then we'll jump into, uh, into our message. Lord, we do love you, and yes, we do live in a broken world, and Lord, I lift up to you, we as, a, as your body lift up to you, the leadership in our country, Lord, that they would come to know you if they don't. Lord, we lift up the, our service men and women to you. Lord, we lift up the families of the, of the 13 service people, that service men and women that, that died last week, and the 169 uh, Afghan citizens that died as well, and their families. Lord, whatever we can do, whatever role we can play to point people to you, Lord, that is what we need to be doing. And so, Lord, we ask you for your, for your guidance. We ask that your Holy Spirit would indwell us and lead us and guide us and, 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 and allow us and empower us to share our story with our sons and our daughters and our moms and our dads and cousins and aunts and uncles and friends and coworkers and the people that are in our world. Lord, we beg you through your Holy Spirit to, to empower us to do that. And so, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I got one more little announcement before we jump in the, in the message, and it's going to be on the screen behind me as well, I think. Yeah. So, I believe that God's people are thirsty for his word. I just believe that in my core of my core. But I also believe that there's this huge bucket of folks 
that they, that they want to study the scripture, that they want to dive in, but they really just don't even know where to start. Like, I'm going to read my Bible a little bit, but I really want to, like, I'm hung, I have a hunger for the word, and I have a hunger to study and to dive in, but I just, like, really don't even know where to start. Have you ever felt that way? None of y'all, actually, I guess, have ever felt that way. Okay. Well, well we're going to have a little conference on the 24th and 25th of September, three hours Friday night, four hours Sunday morning, really on how to study the Bible. Not how to read the Bible. We're not teaching folks how to read. We're teaching and, and going to help and going to dig in on how is it, how do we study Scripture? How do we dive in and study Scripture? Because you know when you pick your Bible up, you're not on some timeline. It's not speed reading. You know, we need to study and dig in for life transformation, right? So that's, we, I encourage you to register for that on our website, uh, churchonthetrail.org slash events, and you can register for that. So, y'all, back a few months ago, we started this walk through the book of, of Acts. And you may not remember this, but, but I, 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 I kind of renamed the book. You know, the, the book in your Bible probably says the Acts of the Apostles, probably. Now, understand this. I'm not changing Scripture because the names of the books is not inspired. God did not name the, the books of the Bible, right? The, 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 the human authors... And probably they didn't actually either. Somebody at some point named the book. So don't say he's uh, preaching heresy. He's renaming the books of the Bible. No, no. Th th those aren't inspired. So with that said, I feel like a better name and a more descriptive name for, for Acts, for the book of Acts, is the Acts of the Lord Jesus through his people by the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of God's purposes. The acts, because it's really the acts of Jesus. More, now, he's using the apostles, right? He uses his people. And so I think that's a more appropriate name. And so if you remember in chapter 3, and we bet we were in chapter 3 for a couple of, two or three weeks. And if you remember, you had this lame beggar guy at the temple gate, uh, the, the beautiful gate at the temple. And he's healed. You know, the Lord healed him through Peter and John. And that sets up Peter's second kind of sermon, which is in the back half of chapter 3, and that's what we talked about last week. And, and he, in that message, he just black and white, crystal clear, shares the gospel with a ton of people that are in Solomon's colonnade at the temple. And that gets us to today, where we're going to be in chapter 4, probably the first 20 verses of chapter 4. And chapter 4 is inextricably linked to chapter 3. It's inextricably linked. That's a cool word. I like to say that. It, it's linked to what happened at the beautiful gate. And it's linked to what Peter um, preaches in the last half of chapter 3. So, Kepha, verse 1. Kepha and Yochanan, that's Peter and John. And if you remember, we're still using in, in, in this series on Acts. We're using the complete Jewish Bible, so you're going to see some Hebrew in there. It's a fantastic translation of Scripture, but you'll see some Hebrew, and I'll let you know what that means. Kepha and Yochanan, that's Peter and John, were still speaking to the people when the Kohanim, that's the priests, the captain in charge of the temple police, and the Tzudikim, that's the Sadducees, came upon them. Well, who they came upon Peter and John. And they came upon them very annoyed that they were teaching the people, the doctrine of what? The doctrine of the resurrection. The Sadducees were ticked that Peter and John are talking about the resurrection. 
They can't stop talking about the resurrection and offering Yahshua Jesus as proof. The temple police arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in custody overnight. However, many of those who heard the message trusted or believed or got saved, and the number of men alone, this is still like this was in that colonnade, the number of men alone was about 5,000, which means it was probably seven, eight, or 9,000 people, y'all, that gave their lives to Christ. What did Peter and John preach? The gospel. They didn't preach a bunch of other stuff. They preached a, lie, a dead guy went in the tomb and a live guy came out. That's all Peter preached. Verse 5, the next day, the people's rulers, elders, and Torah teachers assembled in Yerushalayim, that's Jerusalem, along with Anon, the Kohen, Hagadol, that is Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, which is Caiaphas, and Yochanan, John, Alexander, and the other men from the family of the high priest, the Kohen Hagadol. And so they, that group of people, had the emissaries, the apostles, stand before them and ask, by what power or in what name did you do this? Well, do what? Heal this guy at the gate. Then Kepha, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being examined today about a good deed done for a disabled person, if you want to know how he was restored to health, then let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that in the, it is in the name of the Messiah, Yahshua from Nazareth, Jesus from Nazareth, whom you had executed on a stake as a criminal, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you perfectly healed. See, the beggar was up there with him, right? And so he's pointing to him. You know, it is by, by his name that this dude is standing here. Verse 11, this Yahshua is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by whom we must be saved. When they saw how bold, who's they? They is all the muckety-muck leaders, all those Jewish leaders. When they saw how bold Kepha and Yochanan were, even though they were untrained Am Haaretz, that is literally they were of the world. They were common folks. So when they saw that they were common folks, they were bold, but and yet they were common folks, they were amazed. Also, they recognized them as having been with Yahshua. Moreover, since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there beside them, there was nothing they could say to discredit the healing. So they told them, the leaders told Peter and John, and probably some other apostles that are there, to step away from them while they discussed the matter privately. What can we do with these men, they asked each other. Like, why anyone in Jerusalem can, can see that a remarkable miracle has come about through them? We can't possibly deny that. But to prevent it from spreading any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak to anybody in that name. So they called them in again. They called uh, Peter and John in again and ordered them under no circumstances to speak or teach in the name of Yahshua, of Jesus, but Cape and Yochanan answered, you must be the judge whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. But as for us, we can't help talking about what we have actually seen and heard. And I believe, y'all, the first 18 or 19 verses, they just serve to set up verse 20. All of that is really just serves to set up verse 20. As for us, we can't help but tell you what we actually saw and what we actually heard. And so you think about a courtroom, and in a courtroom you got judges 
and you got lawyers and you got you know some sheriff's deputies and some police officers and you got you got court reporters and so on but arguably the very most important person in that courtroom is the witness the witness is the most important a witness is somebody who tells what they saw tells what they heard tells about what they experienced right that's what a witness does every sunday every sunday you hear me stand up here and share the gospel week in and week out and i and i hope that i'm all, always encouraging you to share your story and not to share your story so somebody can pat you on the back and say man it's a cool story no you're sharing your story to to leverage your story for somebody else's forever y'all does that make sense it's not just a story for the story's sake lord knows it's not we should be leveraging our story for somebody else's eternity be a witness you know, one of the main reasons why I think that people don't witness is that, that they hadn't seen or heard anything and they hadn't experienced anything. Well, if that's true, then I'm trying to get them to share something that they don't know anything about. Does that make sense? All right. But y'all, if you've seen something and if you've heard something and if you've experienced something, something and if what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've experienced is that Jesus Christ is alive if that's true how can you be silent about that like amen like like how can like that doesn't even work if you have that kind of news how can you not share that news I jump back to the beginning of chapter 4 Peter and John they're still talking about the resurrection. They were totally, completely, absolutely, all in, ain't no doubt about it, convinced that Yahshua is alive. They saw him. They talked to him. They walked with him. And they could not, they couldn't not be quiet about him. Kaph and Yochanan, still speaking to the people when the Kohanim, the priest, the captain in charge of the temple police and the Sadducees, they come upon him, very annoyed that they were teaching about the resurrection. And they were offering Yahshua, they were offering Jesus as proof. Don't forget, I didn't rename the book, right? I didn't rename the book. The acts of the Lord Jesus through his people, by the Holy Spirit, for the accomplishment of God's purposes. So it is all about what Jesus is doing through his people, through his people, through the church. The body of Christ. And so he is alive and he is well and he's active in Columbus, Georgia. Through me and through you if you're a Christ follower. And Acts 4 totally deals with this Jesus. And, the, the, and this Jesus, maybe we'd say not the Christ of history. You know, not the Christ of the History Channel, not the Christ of the Discovery Channel, but our contemporary Christ. Maybe not even the, the, just the Jesus of prophecy, but the Jesus of, of today. Today, the Jesus who is alive and, and he's living and he's acting and he's active and he's working here, like here in, in Columbus, Georgia. 
Now, because he's alive, we got to be his witnesses. Because he lives, there's a few truisms that I want to talk about today. Three or four truisms that I want to talk about today. Number one is this. Because he lives, persecution continues. Because he lives, his persecution continues. He is alive. He is not dead. Dead folks don't get persecuted. You can't persecute a dead man. He's persecuted because he's alive. If he'd have stayed in the tomb and he was dead and he was rotting, we wouldn't be even having the conversation today. I wouldn't be standing here. Y'all wouldn't be sitting there. People wouldn't be watching on Facebook and on YouTube. So he walks out of the grave alive, and the persecution begins, and it's still going on today. It never stopped going on, right? So he's persecuted, and his followers are persecuted. Peter and John are about to get popped. Well, why are they about to get popped? Because the Lord worked through them to heal that guy at the temple gate. And folks got ticked about it. So he's healed. But then this crowd comes running. Remember we talked about that last week. This big crowd comes running to that colonnade. And Peter and John, they grab a hold and they seize that opportunity with all those people that come running to the colonnade to do what? To share a risen Christ with those people. And so now verse 3 tells us, that they were arrested and they were thrown in jail. Now, Acts chapter 9. We're not going to talk about Acts chapter 9, but for a second today. But write it down, Acts chapter 9. And if you've read it and you remember it, you remember this narrative. Paul, whose name was actually Saul at the time because the Lord hadn't changed his name yet. So Saul from Tarsus is on the way down the road to Damascus. And he's on the way to wreak havoc with the Christians there to persecute them, to kill them, to arrest them, to do whatever. I'm just going to say to wreak havoc on them there. So he's on this road, and Jesus appears to him, knocked him off his horse. And it was not a dead man that appears. You know, dead, dead men don't appear. It was the living Christ that appeared to Saul on that road. And do you remember what Jesus said to Paul? Anybody remember? He said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul's like, he didn't say this, but I can only imagine in his head, I'm going down here to persecute these heathens, these blasphemers. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, why are you persecuting me? And so that makes me think of a few different things. When you persecute a Christian, you are persecuting Jesus. When you persecute the church, you are persecuting Jesus. Does that make sense? That garbage that's going on with Christians in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, they're persecuting Jesus. Now, they may be slashing the throat of a Christian. They're persecuting Jesus. When they persecute the church, you got to shut the church down. That is a persecution, y'all, of the Lord. Number one. Number two is this. You can't persecute a dead man. I mean, you can. You see, because, because he is alive today, then the same world, the same philosophical worldview that persecuted Jesus so long ago, it's the same world that is persecuting him today. And it forces me this week as I'm getting ready for, for today, it forced me to really think about the fact, and I'm going to say the fact 
that you and I should expect to be persecuted. We should expect it. If he is living inside of you, if you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you won't shut up about him, expect to get hammered. We're going to get hammered because the same world that hated him so long ago still hates him today. They're going to call you a nutbag. They're going to think that, you know how many times I've been called a nutbag? You know how many times my family said, oh my gosh, here comes the Jesus freak. Listen, they're going to call you that. They're going to call you names. They're going to call you a nut. And I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, okay. I don't know what else to say other than thank you. You know, thank you. Because that's what I, that's kind of what I want to be. And so when we begin to behave like and to act like and to think like and to, uh, to talk like those early disciples, the same world that hung Jesus on the cross, that persecuted Jesus, will persecute us today. And so the persecution, it continues on and it continues on and it continues on. Why? Because he lives. That's why. Number one. Number two is this. Because he lives, and he's not dead, because he lives, the gospel is convincing. So verse 3, they get thrown in jail, but verse 4 says this. However, many of those who heard the message trusted or believed in the number of men alone was 5,000. Well, what did they believe? What, what did they trust in? Did, did they just simply believe this bulleted set of facts? This set of facts that somebody printed off of, of their printer or something? Was, was it just facts about him that they believed? No. They believed way more than that. What they did was they believed on Christ. They believed in Christ. It's very similar to the language when the Lord told Abraham to go and, and it says that Abraham believed in the Lord and the Lord credited him with righteousness. The Lord didn't download some bulleted set of information. No, Abraham believed in, on the Lord. That's what these people, these five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand people did. They met Christ. They had an encounter with Christ. So now as me and you, as we go out to share, arguments are not going to convince people. Arguments are not. Now, let me tell you, I, first, I lived probably the first seven, eight, nine years of being a Christ follower convinced that arguments would convince people, right? I would argue about the color of the carpet. I'd argue about anything. Had anything to do with church or Jesus, I'd argue. But I just, I think the Lord just impressed on me over time that you're not going to argue somebody into salvation. We're not called to be lawyers. We're not called to be lawyers. We're called to be witnesses. What does a lawyer do? A, law a lawyer argues a case. But a witness tells what he's seen and heard and, and experienced. So Peter and John, in this moment, they're witnessing. They're witnessing. Peter said, it is by the mighty name of Jesus that this dude is standing next to me completely, perfectly healed. He's like, don't look at us. Don't look at me and John. Jesus did this. Jesus perfectly healed this man. And they couldn't deny that it was Christ that had done that. So let me tell you something. Thomas, one of Jesus' guys, Thomas, he is what? Blank Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. 
Man, for 2,000 years, that joker's been called Doubting Thomas. Thomas, probably a good guy. Probably a good guy. But obviously, he was riddled with doubt. And the other disciples, they knew that Jesus was alive. Why? Because they saw, they went and they looked at the empty tomb. They saw him. They saw him after the resurrection. Thomas wasn't there. Now, later on, later on, they went to Thomas and they said, Thomas, like, can you imagine, like, realistically, Peter and John and, and, and the women, go there, they go flying back, and they're like, y'all are not going to believe what happened. Like he says to Thomas, you have no idea. Joshua is alive. He walked out of that grave, and, and he's alive. And Thomas, like Eeyore, with this little cloud, like over, everywhere he walks, it's raining on him. Y'all know who Eeyore is, right? I didn't go way too old school on you. Okay. But they're like, he has been raised from the dead. You can only imagine that. Like, I cannot wait in the chosen to see that, the way they do that. That's a shameless plug. But, but did Thomas believe him? No. He did not believe him. He'd been walking and hanging with them for three and a half years. His very best friends on the planet. But he didn't believe him. Not till a week later when Thomas went and met Jesus himself. He had an encounter with Jesus himself. He saw him himself. It wasn't until that moment that, 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 that Thomas fell down on his knees. And do you know what he said? John chapter 20. You know what he said? He said, my Lord and my God. Like what else could you say? What else can you say? So hear this, y'all. If 10 or 11 of Thomas's very closest buddies could not argue him into believing, argue him into believing that, that, that Jesus was raised from the dead, I'm not going to be able to argue somebody into believing. There's no way. But if you meet Christ, if you have an encounter with a living God the way that Thomas did, Jesus will convince you that he's alive. And I'm saying this, sharing and leveraging your Jesus story for somebody else's forever is not about a sales job. It's not about selling them. It's not about being the chief, best, bestest salesperson in the world, and I'm going to go sell me some Jesus to somebody and coerce them. It doesn't work. So, and it's, it's not just you showing up with a set of, of facts, facts about Jesus, but it's not just a set of facts about Jesus. You know, you present the facts for sure. I mean, obviously you present some facts. But it is driven by the Holy Spirit. If I share the gospel, it ain't driven by Ed. If it's driven by me, I'm going to jack it all up. Like it's driven by the Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit that is living inside of me is witnessing to this person through me. That's exactly what happened in the first century with the apostles. It's exactly what is happening today with us that are Christ followers. The Holy Spirit is working through us to get done what God wants to get done. Listen, you know how I want to, personally, how I want to live? I want to live so that you can't explain Ed apart from Christ. Like, I don't want somebody to say, well, that guy, he kind of preaches okay. He's kind of okay as a speaker. And he's kind of an intelligent guy. Well, at least he's not just stupid. You know, I don't want, I don't, like, I don't want that. He's this or he's that. I want him to say, God is in him. The Holy Spirit is in 
him. There's something different about him. What is it? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. Like, that's all I want. Honestly, that's all I want for my whole life is for people just to say that. And so let me tell you, if he's alive, if he's really alive, the persecution ain't stopping. But if he's alive, he'll continue to be persuasive because he's alive. He'll continue to be convincing. Persecution, continual. Gospel, convincing. Well, why is that? Because we're not just talking about a set of facts. We're talking about introducing folks to a person. We're not talking about introducing them to, to a set of information. We're talking about introducing them to a person. Sharing is just introducing, sharing your story, your Jesus story. It, it, it's really just introducing somebody to your good buddy named Jesus. For heaven's sake, y'all, like I'm not trying to get this person to sign off on the three, our three pages of core beliefs on churchonthetrail.org. Like, I'm not trying to get them to sign off on all that. I just want them to know Jesus. Like, I just want to introduce them to the guy that radically changed my life. And you know what? If you're a Christ follower, he changed your life. And you know what? Your story's different than mine. And your story's going to have way more impact on your world, on your friends, on your, your family than mine would ever even dream about. And the likewise for me and my friends and my family and the people I work with. So I, I, just want to, I just want him to know Jesus, and he's alive in me, and I want to introduce him to you. So number, no, number two is because he lives, the gospel is convincing. It's convincing. Number three is this. Because he lives, his people will be more, say it, hashtag courageouser. <laughs> I can be more courageouser. I had to give y'all a made-up word today. So verse 5, the next day, the people's rulers, elders, and Torah teachers assembled in Jerusalem along with uh, Annas, the, the high priest, Caiaphas, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and the other men from the family of the Kohen Agadol, the family of the high priest. And so these are big shots, y'all. These are big shots here. Pharisees, elders, the high priest, the high priest family. I'm talking about big shots. Verse 7 says, they, the big shots, had the apostles, the emissaries, stand before them. So can you imagine being this regular guy? Just this fisherman dude. I mean, that's all they were. They were just regular folks. Surrounded by all of, uh, uh, of these, these, these big shots. It'd be like going and testifying before Congress. You got all these wealthy, rich, powerful folks. And like, I'm just a bass fisherman. And, and that's, that's what that felt like. And they got you in the middle, and they're sitting around, and they're looking at you, and they're about to drill you with questions, and so you're in the middle of all that. And the Bible says, and they ask, by what power or in what name did you do this? Well, that's the wrong question to ask my brother Peter, because Peter was no longer scared, S-K-E-E-R-E-D. <laughs> Peter wasn't scared no more. Peter was super scared Seven, eight weeks ago, was he not? But he ain't scared no more. So it says, then Kepha said to them. Is that what it says? No, it says, then Kepha, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. So the Holy Spirit is working through Peter. He didn't just say to them. 
he was filled with the Spirit of God, and he said to them. So Peter's flipping the script on them. They thought they were the DA, the prosecuting attorney. But Peter just came, the prosecutor here, and he, and, and he turns the table. And he says in verse, the end of verse 8, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being examined today about a good deed done for a disabled person, if you want to know how he was restored to health, then let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that it is in the name of the Messiah, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you executed on a stake as a criminal. Can you imagine if you're the fly on the wall watching Peter talk to the most powerful people in Israel like that? Like, can you imagine that? This rough and tumble sort of fisherman guy on fire for Christ. He is passionate, and the Holy Spirit is convicting him and, and working through him, coming through the words that he says. And you know, y'all, you know he is all up in their face, just like that. This Jesus that you put on the stake, this Jesus that you executed as a criminal, you know that's what was happening. Because why? He ain't scared no more. And so he's all up in their faces, whom you executed as a criminal, but whom God raised from the dead. It's that, that's the reason that the guy is standing right next to me perfectly healed. So there's no doubt that Jesus is alive, that he lives. Zero doubt. Peter goes on in verse 11. This Yahshua is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by whom we must be saved. Y'all, for those people that he's talking to, them are fighting words. Like they are fighting words. Like go to Flat Rock Park and we fixing to get in a fight. Like, I don't know why that came out, y'all. <laughs> wow. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Is he one of many ways? Is he one of, uh, is it a multiple choice test and you can choose A, B, C, or D? I got the Hindu, I got the, like every, every religious experience is like different rays of light shining through the prism of a greenhouse and you just, one of them, they all will lead you to the same place. If Hinduism is true for you, wonderful. If Buddhism, true, wonderful. If you want to be a Muslim, wonderful. It all leads to the same paradise. No, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. It's not pick A, B, C, or D, and you pick C. It's not a lottery. Like, it's not spin the wheel or something. He is the only way. This is an exclusive club that is open to everybody. Like, how crazy is that? It's an exclusive club that actually is open to everybody. So that's what Peter is saying. You can take such courage in that. Verse 13. When they, this leadership, saw how bold Peter and John were, even though they were untrained amcha'aretz, I love that word. They were untrained, just worldly people, just common, regular folks living in Mock, Georgia. They're just regular salt-of-the-earth people. That's really what that's saying. Y'all, Peter and John ain't got no Ph.D. They don't have a master's degree. They didn't go to, to Liberty or to Wheaton College. They didn't go to some big place and get a degree. They were fishermen. They were regular, just regular common Joes. So can you imagine somebody like that talking to all of these rulers and the elders and the big shots, the intelligentsia, the, the learned men 
And so those learned men, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the Bible says they were amazed. Also, they recognized them as having been with Yahshua. So here's the deal. If you are, or when somebody is convinced that Jesus is alive, like beyond all doubt, when there's no doubt that he is alive, then you become unintimidatedly courageous. I think that actually is a word. Unintimidatedly courageous because you can't be intimidated. Like Peter ain't scared no more. He's courageous. Why is he courageous? Because a dead guy came out of the grave. And I believe one of the curses of the 21st century, really probably one of the curses of the 20th and the 21st century is silent Christ followers. Silent Christ followers, which is actually an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Like a silent Christ follower is nonsense, right? If you're a Christ follower, you can't be silent. But in the name of political correctness or in the name of like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to offend nobody or in the name of, I don't want to be pushy or, or in the name of, I don't want to force my belief system on somebody because they, there we live in a free country. They can believe whatever they want to believe. So in the name of, of one of those things, then I'm silent. Well, well that's a problem. Because if I love my neighbor, then I won't be silent. If I love my kids, I, I won't be silent. And yes, they got to have their own belief. You can't believe for them, and you can't argue them into salvation. But you sure can share your, your story. So silent, cowardly believers is a problem. I mean, how can you not speak of what you've seen and what you've heard and what you have experienced? We need to inaugurate a new epidemic. And that's an epidemic of holy boldness, of godly courage. So our church, and I'd really say the church, needs a contagious epidemic of holy boldness. Well, where does the holy boldness come from? Where, where, where does the, the godly courage come from? Look at verse 13. It says, when they saw a bold cave in Yochanan, where even though they were untrained common folks, they were amazed also. They recognized them as what? As having been with Yahshua. Having been with Jesus. Jesus is where it comes from. Jesus is where the courage comes from. It doesn't come from having a master's degree in theology. It comes from Jesus. He's where the boldness and the courage come from. Now, understand this. Boldness and courage is not arrogance. Boldness and courage is not condescension. We don't speak to people condescendingly. We don't do that. We don't speak to people with, with arrogance. Boldness contains compassion. Courage contains gentleness. Contains hu humility. Boldness is wrapped around and it's like a bow tied around love and a servant's heart. Peter and John weren't arrogant. Peter and John weren't condescending. They were humble. They submitted to the Lord. They were led by the Lord. And yet they were bold and they were courageous. Don't be arrogant. Like, don't be a know-it-all. 
Don't, don't be a loud mouth. It turns people off. It turns people off. Be bold and be courageous and be humble and be gentle. Be loving and be compassionate, but don't be scared. Does that make sense? They need to see him in you. It's a leadership thing. Lead them to the cross with love. Don't lead them to the cross by knocking them unconscious with your hardback Bible and then dragging them by the hair to the cross. It don't work. You lead them to the cross through the love and the compassion and the conviction and the life that you live. They see it. The, the way that you talk and act and love and speak and, and the way you live, that's how you can lead people to him. And you know, there are so many times that I personally am way not bold enough, way not courageous enough, and I get so convicted of it. So, this week, Susan and I went and saw my parents in Johns Creek. They're in an assisted living center. Hadn't seen them in a year and a half because of the Rona. And so we go up there and we see them. And you know what I didn't do? You know what I didn't do? Now, if you don't know me, my, both my, my family's Jewish, so both my parents are Jewish. You know what I didn't do? I didn't share Jesus with them. I kept waiting for Susan to kick me under the table and say, say it. So I'm like, Lord, forgive me for my cowardice. Forgive me for forgive me for not being bold and for not being courageous. You know, I want y'all to pray for me that I would be more courageouser. Because <laughs> I clearly wasn't last Monday or Tuesday, whatever day we went up there. But because he lives, I can be. And because he lives, you can be. And so that's a prayer. That's number three. Last one is this. Because he lives, we got to proclaim the name. Verse 15, so they told him to step away from the Sanhedrin while they discussed the matter privately. The, the muckety-mucks told Peter and John, step away, let us talk about this. He said, what can we do with these men? They asked each other. Why, anybody in Jerusalem can see that a remarkable miracle had taken place through them. We can't deny that. But to prevent it from spreading any further, let's warn them to keep their mouths shut. And here it comes in verse 18. So they called them back in again and they ordered them or they commanded them under no circumstances to speak in the name of Yahshua. But Cephas and Yochanan answered, you got to judge whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. As for us, we can't help but talking about what we actually have seen and heard. The gates of hell could not have stopped them. Y'all realize that? There ain't nothing that was going to stop those two guys and Jesus' other guys from sharing. They were commissioned as soldiers in God's army. What were his last words? Go read the end of Matthew 28. Go make disciples. What did he say in Acts 1.8? Go be my witnesses. Those are his last words. And that was, the, that was the commissioning of his people to be his army. And they're saying, we cannot not proclaim his name from the mountaintops. So here's a question for you. If you were Peter or James or John or Matthew or Bartholomew, whoever, and you had an encounter with the living Christ, the risen Christ who ran out of the grave, do you think you could ever be silent about that? No way, y'all. 
No way. And so if Jesus is still dead in that tomb in Israel, then nothing really matters. If he's still dead in that tomb in Israel, rotting, then nothing really matters. But if he walked out of that grave alive, nothing but that really matters. I mean, if you have an encounter with Christ, I mean, you have an encounter with a living God. And I did January 17, 2001. How can I be silent about it? Bobby Richardson, going old school Major League Baseball. Anybody know who Bobby Richardson was other than Richard Moore? <laughs> Bobby Richardson, one of my spiritual heroes, second baseman for the New York Yankees. And he's not one of my heroes because he plays for the Yankees because I hate the Yankees. But, but he was their second baseman from 1955 to 1966, I think. He actually led Mickey Mantle to Christ before he died. Seventh game of the World Series in 1962 between the Yankees and the Giants. Richardson is playing second base, and the Giants had a guy on second base. I think hit a double. He's on second base. He's on second base, which puts him near Richardson because Richardson's playing second base, right? And, and he's an all-star second baseman. And so when the Yankees pause the game to change pitchers, you got a relief pitcher coming in. Um, Richardson, who was a strong witness for Christ, walks over to the guy, and I don't know who it was, the guy that was on second base while the pitcher is warming up, and he says, seventh game of the World Series, right? He says, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Seventh game of the World Series, right? He does. When that base runner reached home, he goes into the dugout, and he asks uh, his teammate, Felipe Alou, y'all ever heard of Felipe Alou, who also was a Christ follower. He says to him, like, what is going on with the fool that plays second base with Richardson out there. You know what Alou said? Because the guy says, how can you be talking about this Jesus guy in the seventh game of the World Series? And Alou says, well, he is a lot more important than the seventh game of the World Series. The guy's losing his mind now because all these Jesus freaks are like on the other team and on his team, and they're all jumping all over him. There's something more important than a baseball game, and it is the gospel, and that's what Felipe Alou told him. And so Peter and John are so moved by the, they're just, they're just so moved by the gospel that they were willing to suffer whatever, beatings, whatever it is for the name of Christ. You think about what they say here in verse 20. They say, we can't help but talk about what we saw and what we actually heard. And y'all, here comes a super tough statement. And this is a super tough statement. I have become convinced that the reason that most people don't witness is because they don't know Jesus. You can't witness about somebody whom you don't know. You can't. So you can't, I can't ask people to witness for Christ if they're not saved. If you haven't seen or heard or experienced anything, how are you going to witness about what you've seen and heard and experienced? You can't. You, you can't. Like, for real, can you tell me that can you tell me that you really believe that Jesus Christ is alive and you're quiet about it? I don't think you can. But understand this. I'm not saying that you got to be on a street corner screaming the name of Christ to total strangers. Everybody's not gifted to do that. I'm not saying that you, you, that you're, that you got to be up here preaching to people in, in here. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you know him, you have a story. 
and you have friends and you have family and you have people that you work with, the people that you love. And so how can you know him and not have some kind of conversation about him? And everybody can't just walk up to a total stranger. Everybody can't be Bobby Richardson in the seventh game of the World Series and go witness to the guy on second base. Like, that was bold. That's not, everybody's not wired up for that. And I believe it doesn't work if you're not in a relationship with somebody. Of course it can. But I believe the gospel spreads with four guys on a golf course who are buddies playing golf. And one of them shares. I believe the gospel spreads with teenagers, let's just say teenage girls at a slumber party, and one of them shares Jesus with the other one. It, it, the gospel spreads when, when I'm working at a real estate office and I take somebody to lunch, and in that conversation, we have a Jesus conversation. You know, it, it, that makes, it's, it works in relationship. Because the Holy Spirit works through you and jumps all into that conversation. And so don't hear what I'm saying that you got to be a, an evangelist on a stage somewhere. Not at all what I'm saying. Like not even close to what I'm saying. But if you know him, the way the scripture defines know him, if he is indwelling you and leading you and guiding you, you have to share that. You, you, you just can't not share that. So we got to witness. we got to share that story. Evangelism to these early Christians, it was not some eight-day revival tent meeting where an evangelist comes in. And, and, I mean, in their day, the entire church, the entire body of Christ is caught up in it, and they were not quiet about it. You know what they called Charles Spurgeon? Y'all heard of Charles Spurgeon. You know what they called Charles Spurgeon's church in London? They called it a soul trap. Spurgeon's church they called a soul trap. And my prayer is that we would be that. That we would be a soul trap. That you would live your life as a soul trap. That people would come in this building. That we would go out of this building. That we would go into the community. That we would, that we would capture folks for Jesus. That all of us would be living our lives like that every single day. The people that we came in. And I'm not talking about beating them upside the head with the Bible. I'm not. I'm talking about serving them. Whatever that means. You got a friend and their husband's got COVID. Can I bring a meal over to y'all? Like, that's, is that hard? Is that what a Christ follower would do? Absolutely, y'all. It's you're walking in some store at Columbus Park Crossing and there's a lady with a stroller and you open the door for her. And you just kind of pull your little cross necklace out and let her see it, but you open the, <laughs> you, you open the door for her. Yeah, I'm talking all these, these are all, they're little things. But if you know Jesus, your worldview changed. Love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's a job description for a Christian. That is what the world should look at us, and they should see the fruit of the Spirit. And you're not going to be perfect. We're so imperfect. I am the chief imperfect person. Like, I get that. Like, I totally get it. But we should be all those things. Y'all, that, that look, look at this. Can you imagine what it would look like 
if we intentionally looked for opportunities to share our, our Jesus story? Like, what would that look like? It has to be done inside of a relationship, but what would it look like? To teach people about the Lord. And no, we wouldn't all be on the street corner. Of course we wouldn't. But each of us would share his or her story, his story in our lives with our people. Acts chapter 5, we'll get to it in several weeks, but talking about Jesus' guys, here's what it says, chapter 5, verse 42. It says, and not, not for a single day, either in the temple court, either in, either in here in church, so not for a single day, either in the temple court or in private homes, did they stop teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus the Messiah. Y'all, the early church turned the world upside down. They did so much with so little. They didn't have no internet. They didn't have no cell phone. They didn't have no YouTube. They didn't have no Facebook, no Instagram, no TV, no radio. But they led a Jesus movement that changed the world forever. Changed the world forever. And so because, think about it. Because Jesus is alive, I'm going to call the band back up here too. Sorry. Think about it. Because he lives. Because he lives. They never, ever, ever stopped proclaiming the good news that Yahshua is the Messiah. Because he lives. They never stopped that. They never stopped teaching. They never stopped sharing. Because he lives. And they did so much. So much. Think about just Peter and John in that colonnade, five to 10,000 people came to know the Lord. And it seems like we do so little with so much. It, it's sad. They did so much with so little and we do so little with so much. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they... Maybe they had seen some things. Maybe they had heard some things. Maybe they had experienced some things that some of us today haven't seen or haven't heard or haven't experienced. Maybe it's things that some of us need to hear and need to see and need to experience, but we just haven't. Maybe we grew up thinking that we had. Maybe, that, maybe we grew up thinking that we had, but we really haven't. Like, I don't know. Remember, a witness is somebody who tells what they saw and what they heard and what they experienced. H have you seen anything? Have you heard anything? Have you experienced anything? It's because he lives. Like, let me just say this. If, if I were to ask you, are you a Christ follower? If I were to ask you, let me even change the way I say that. If I were to ask you, have you been saved? And if your answer is, well, I think so, that would be no. If your answer is, I, I don't, like, I don't know, then, then that's a no. I mean, I'm not sure how you can be saved and not know that you're saved. God don't work that way. He don't sneak up behind you and hit you with the saved bat and, and somehow you're saved. That's not the way it works. And so if you, if, if, 
if you can't say unequivocally, I'm a new creation. I got a new heart. I had a heart transplant. Jesus saved me. Then don't go to sleep tonight without considering that offer. You want to say yes to that offer right now? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. But for sure, don't go to sleep tonight without thinking about it, without considering that offer that he makes. Died on a cross. This is it. He died on a cross to take care of your sin, to pay the penalty for your sin that had to be paid for, right? You believe that. You believe that he walks out of the grave alive to seal that deal. And all it is is, Lord, save me. And he will. He's a faithful, faithful God. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you bring to the table. Because you don't bring nothing to the table. But the sin that made the cross necessary, that's what we bring to the table. So y'all pray with me. Lord, if there is anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they would just take that little 30 seconds that I just said and consider that even right now, consider that tonight, consider that this afternoon. Lord, it's so simple. It's just so simple. And it's not a set of facts. It's trust and belief that my sin had to be paid for and you took care of it on the cross and you rose from the grave three days later. And that sealed that deal. So, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you right now in this room or watching on YouTube or Facebook or if today is Thursday and they're watching it. Lord, I pray they would cry out to you to, for you to save them. Lord, Peter said there is no other name by which we can be saved. Not Allah, not Muhammad, not anything. Nobody but Jesus. No other name. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you, something happened in your heart, or even if something didn't happen in your heart, you just need prayer, we'll have somebody back there. Do it every Sunday. And so if you said yes to that offer, if you just need prayer for whatever it is, if you, back in that back corner, somebody will be back there to pray with you.